my wife and I uh, met our very f- uh, the second week of our first year in college. So as uh, college freshmen, we showed up on campus, we met our second week, and, um, and we began to hang out. We had almost all of our classes together. We were in a singing group together. Uh, we were doing ministry. And uh, by Christmas of that year, by Christmas of that year, I knew that this was the lady that I wanted to marry. It took her longer to figure that out, <clears throat> but I knew it. And uh, by the, the summer, the end of that, my freshman year, the end of our freshman year, we started dating. And uh, <clears throat> we got engaged at uh, that Christmas. And, um, and life was good until we got to that second summer. Because uh, I decided to stay home and work. Uh, I was saving money for our honeymoon. And she was on a camp team. And so she traveled all summer long. In fact, uh, she didn't come home for nine weeks straight. So anybody who remembers early relationship and love, nine weeks, way too long. We did not see each other very much at all, but when we did see each other, the reunion was sweet. There were hugs and there were kisses and there were tears and there were stories. There was laughter and there was joy that came with being together. We're in the middle of this series. We're working our way through the book of Isaiah. And my assignment today is Isaiah chapter 55. If you've got your Bibles or uh, open your apps and and get to uh, Isaiah 55. But Isaiah 55 is kind of the second part of this, um, this parenthetical section. It actually starts in 54. And in Isaiah 54, uh, Isaiah begins to share with the people, God reveals to the people, um, and he uses this analogy of a husband who is pursuing an unfaithful wife. That analogy has been used uh, many times through uh, the prophets. But here Isaiah is talking about God, the faithful husband, pursuing Israel, the unfaithful wife. And in 54, it describes the lengths that God will go to to restore the relationship and that when the reunion happens, it will be sweet. In our text today, Isaiah 55, God then begins to reveal who that bride is. That it goes beyond just his chosen people of Israel, but includes everyone, including the Gentiles, both Gentiles and Israel. Now what no one knew, including Isaiah at the time, or the Israelites who were receiving this message, is that God's plan was to uh, to unite all of those people in the body of Christ, his church. But this is what's coming. Today's message I titled The Invitation, and I can sum it up in four words. 
I'm going to use more than four. Don't get excited. The four words we can use to just sum up this message. Come, listen, seek, and celebrate. So I want to walk through Isaiah chapter 55 with you this morning and just look at those four words. Look, we're going to start right in verse 1. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1, and follow along with me. I'm reading in the New International Version. It says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? And so the first question that kind of comes to my mind when I read that is, how can someone buy something without any money? And it reminded me that not very long ago, Blake, who's uh, 18 now, but just I mean, maybe a year ago, year and a half ago, I remember that Blake would say to me when we were out someplace and I suggested, hey, why don't we get some lunch? Why don't we get something to eat? Hey, Blake, why don't you buy some snacks? Maybe we're on a road trip. And I remember that Blake regularly would say to me, Dad, I don't really want to spend my money on food. I think what he was really saying is, Dad, why would I buy it when you're here? And you'll buy it. And I think that sentiment is exactly what God is asking right here. He says, come and, uh, and buy. If you have no money, come buy and eat. How can you buy something without money? Only if the money is given to you. And Isaiah describes the suffering servant who has paid the price And extends the invitation for us to come and eat and drink. I'm sitting over here this morning and I'm praying, God, don't let me start crying now. He, he answered that one with a no. You'll have just a few minutes with this uh, message, but I've had a week with it. It's wrecking me, folks. This verse says, Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And I look at that and I say, No, wait a second. I, I know my Bible well enough to know that Jesus in the Gospels says you have to count the cost. There's a cost, isn't there? To following Christ. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus, uh, in verse 25, he says, there's a large crowd that was following Jesus. He had just done miracles. He had fed them. He had uh, healed them. Uh, people were coming from all over. He, he had huge crowds that were following him. And Jesus knew the hearts of the people. 
And he turned to them and he said, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But, do not, uh, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin a construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? That sounds costly to me. But what Jesus is talking about is a, is a how do we prioritize Jesus? He's saying, do you really want me or do you want what you will get from me? The people that were following him in that moment wanted food. They wanted healing. They wanted something from Jesus. But he looked at their hearts and he said, I'm not sure that you really want me. And so he says, count the cost. But what God doesn't require, and it's very, very clear in scripture, that God doesn't require that we earn our salvation or make up for our failures. He doesn't put a hoops in our, in our way that we have to jump through because he has paid the price. And we get to enter into that relationship with him by faith only. Well, does that mean that the Christian life is easy? No. It's not easy, but not because of the requirements from God, but because of the war that rages inside of us between our flesh and our spirit. It's a constant daily battle for our attention and our allegiance and our obedience. But even in the midst of that battle, God says that he will fight for us if we will yield to him. Lots of examples I could share with you, but the one, and one of my favorite examples quickly is in uh, the middle of the book of, of Exodus. God has just released his people from 450 years of slavery, they are running, they are leaving Egypt, and they are trapped between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's pursuing army. And the people are freaking out. And Moses turns to the people and he says, God will fight for you. You only need to be still. There's a battle that rages every day. It rages inside the believer. It rages around the believer. And God will fight for us. When there's a banquet that's been prepared and offered freely, why do we work and strive and struggle and stress to acquire the things in life that don't really satisfy our deepest needs and desires? 
I think this is a question for every person. I wrestle with this question every day. Some of us have realized what we're really looking for and we've accepted Christ's offer. But like John writes in the book of Revelation, we have forgotten our first love. After finding Jesus, then we try to live life in our own power. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's a battle that's raging. There's a war that's happening. And if we try to go to that battle and try to win that battle in our own strength, we're not going to win it. But when we live by the Spirit... He lives his life through us and we'll find victory in it. Other people are still searching. They're searching for the answers to life's biggest questions. Where did I come from? What's my purpose? What happens after death? And here's what I'll say to you, that you can look in every conceivable place and you will not find a philosophy or an ideology or a religion or a relationship that will satisfy those longings and answer those questions until you find the person of Jesus because he alone can answer those questions and meet those needs. We spent months working our way through and studying the book of Ecclesiastes and that's written by the wisest man that ever lived apart from Jesus Christ And that was his conclusion too. And he had the money and the power and the time and the inclination to try everything. Look at verse 2. It says, listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the people, a ruler and a commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. It starts with that word come, God extends the invitation to come freely. And then God says, listen. In 2001, I had a heart attack. And I've told part of the story before. But the part of the story I haven't told you is that... After kind of realizing or having a suspicion as to what was going on. I laid down in bed at home waiting to be able to see the doctor and having some, just resting. And I called my kids to me. It was kind of a weird, surreal kind of moment. 
I had read those kinds of moments many times in the Bible as people got to the end of their life and they would gather together the, their kids or the people that were closest to them and they would say something. And I called my kids to me because I didn't know what was going to happen in the next hours. But I wanted to speak some lasting words to them. And if they were my last words, I wanted those words to be clear. And I said to my kids, keep pursuing Jesus. Love your mother well. And then I told them I was proud of them and I loved them. And in verse 2, here is our father speaking to his children. And he's saying, listen, listen to me. Hear what I have to say because they are the very words of life. God promises that he will build a covenant relationship with us one that rivals his relationship with David, one that was filled with trust and faithfulness and unending love. And that, that invitation to covenant relationship extended to all people. God continues in verse 6, and he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him While he is near, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to the Lord for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This word that introduces this third section of the message, seek. This word seek really is, it really captures the idea of repentance. God invites us to come freely into a relationship with him. He says, listen to what I'm saying because in my words you'll find life. And then he says, seek me, seek me while I may be found. This word seek really describes repentance. One commentator says it this way, repentance is not something a person must do before God will accept him. It is simply a description of what seeking the Lord looks like. Let me read that again. Repentance is not something a person must do before God will accept him. It is simply a description of what seeking the Lord looks like. Here's the rest of the quote. In other words, cleaning up one's life is not a precondition for accepting acceptance by God. The person who genuinely seeks the Lord and calls on his name has come to grips with his or her sin and is willing to turn it over to the Lord. In these verses, Isaiah uses the word thoughts and ways, and I want you to 
turn that in your mind and hear thinking and action. Thoughts and ways. Thinking and actions. And this is the essence of repentance. Changing your thinking and changing your actions. Paul says in, chapter, in Romans chapter 12, Do not be conformed to this world, actions, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, thoughts. It's a changing of our thinking and our actions. And what will happen? What will happen if we respond to God in this kind of way? If we repent and we respond to God in this kind of way, God will show mercy and pronounce pardon. That's what he says in verse 7. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. God can do this because his ways are different than our ways and his thoughts are different than our thoughts. He looks at justice differently than we do. God is quick to turn from his anger and offer forgiveness. Repentance is not just something for those who seek Christ for the first time. It's an everyday action and choice for the believer. Every day, every moment, choosing to live by the Spirit. This last week, uh, uh, Angie, my wife, and Blake have been on this trip uh, called Destination Serve. There were seven students and three adults, and every day they started the day by praying and asking God, where would you have us to go? Random locations. And they would travel to a, a town or a city. They would roll into town. They would begin asking people, is there something that we can do to serve you? Is there some way that we can serve you today? And they have some amazing stories of how God began to answer those prayers. But one of the rules or one of the guidelines on this trip is that they would not ask anyone for any food or any lodging. They made no plans for those things. They simply prayed and said, God, you know what we need. And they rolled into a place and asked to serve. Every day. God prompted someone to offer a meal or a lodging. They didn't ask for it. They didn't seek it. They didn't drop clever hints. When they were asked, hey, where are you guys staying tonight? You guys have a place to stay? No. God's going to provide something. And then they would respond. Sometimes, sometimes the answers to those things came out of the blue. But it was a week of intentionally living by the Spirit. And when we orient our lives to living by the Spirit's leading, then we open ourselves up to hearing the Spirit's voice. And that's a choice that we have to make every day. In verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. You know, I don't often hear people include this when they're sharing the gospel 
with people who are far from God. But it's clear that there's a window of opportunity for people to respond to God's invitation. We don't have any idea how long that window of opportunity will last. We know that we're not guaranteed another day. And so for sure the window closes at our death. But I believe that it's clear in scripture that that window may close before death. Paul talks about in the book of Titus that a conscience can be corrupted and lead to a life that cannot be pleasing to God. There may come a a time when after repeated resistance to the Spirit's invitation that your heart simply is too hard to respond anymore. That you don't have a desire for that. You've moved on. And I want to encourage you today not to flirt with the window. Please don't be deceived into thinking that you can live life on your own terms now and decide later to change your mind. God will not be mocked and he cannot be tricked. He is graciously inviting you right now. And if you are sitting there this morning or you're listening this morning and watching and you're feeling prompted to respond, please do not push that aside because later may be too late. I'm so thankful for verses 10 through 13. Because we get to the fourth word of the message. God invites us to come and respond to him freely. And he says, listen, because I have the words of life. And he says, here's what responding to me looks like. Change your ways. Change your thinking. Seek after me. Seek after me. And then we get to verse 10. He says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so, as, uh, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so it is my word that goes out from my mouth will not refer- return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. How do we know that God will keep his promise? How do we know that God will respond with mercy and with pardon if we turn to him because God says it will happen? When God says something, it will happen. We don't have to cross our fingers. We don't have to hope nervously when God says It will happen. It will happen. Just like the rain and the snow don't evaporate until they have accomplished their work of watering the earth, so God's word always finishes its work. It always is effective. God's plans won't be thwarted and God's purpose won't be derailed. 
I'll be honest with you, when I listen to the news and when I see the things that are going on in our nation today, there's a mixture of concern and anger and fear and disbelief that well up in me. And I have found over the last several months that I have to intentionally remind myself that God is in control and everything will work for his glory. He sets up kings and he deposes them. He allows the things that will bring him glory. And even though I can't see the bigger picture, I trust the one who can. Even though I can't change the things that are happening around me, I believe in the one who is sovereign. And when God keeps his promise and when God shows mercy and pardon for those who are condemned to death by their own disobedience, what will be the result? What will be the result? Look in verse 12, and we're given these beautiful words to end with. What's the result? You will go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the evergreen. And instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown. For an everlasting sign that will never, or will, that will endure forever. What will be the result? Joy, peace, singing, dancing, life. A celebration will burst out because we who were lost are found. We who were dead are alive. God's word will not return void. It will accomplish his purpose. To those who have been following Christ in their own power, in the power of their own flesh, they will also experience relief and refreshment and joy and freedom when they discover what life by the Spirit is like. Friends, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you're far from God or if you know him intimately as a friend. I don't know if you're a believer who's forgotten or never discovered how to live and walk by the Spirit's power. But I'm telling you this morning, whoever you are, wherever you are, there's an invitation for you today. If you're far from God, if you've never surrendered your life to him, listen, listen to his words because in his words are life. Come, listen, seek him while he may be found and experience this celebration of peace and joy that he promises. If you're a believer, but you've been walking in the power of your own flesh. I want to encourage you this morning the same thing. 
to come. Seek the Lord. You will find him and begin to walk with him. I've, had, I've asked several people sitting out here among you guys this morning. They've got green lanyard on. I'm going to just ask that they, in particular, just kind of stand right where they are so that you can see. But I'm asking if this morning, if you are feeling a prompt to respond to the Lord, I want to invite you to come talk with one of these folks. They'd love to listen to you, love to pray with you. You're welcome to come and pray with me. I'll be right over here. But if you're being prompted this morning, whether to accept Christ for the very first time or to come back to Christ and to learn to walk in his spirit, would you please just find one of these folks and talk with them? Let them pray with you together as the body of Christ. We'll find strength to move forward. We're gonna, Tom's going to lead us in a song while we're singing. Feel free to move and pray and interact. Love you.